Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's always wonderful to be here to be able to open God's Word and to read from it and to learn from it and to know who He is better by faith and what He has revealed to us from His Word as well. We are continuing in our series on faith of those Old Testament saints and heroes that are commended by the author of Hebrews for having such great faith. Now, the book of Hebrews is a difficult book to work through as a whole. It is written to Jewish believers. One of the purposes of this incredible book is to show that salvation has always been by faith, by grace through faith, that when Jesus came to the scene, he didn't add this, this bit about grace and faith, um, but that it has always been how God has worked. And chapter 11, the author is showing us that through these examples of these heroes of the Old Testament, that that is indeed how God has chosen to bring about salvation. We have looked at Abel, and we have looked at Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, the patriarchs, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And now we are here in the third week of the faith of Moses. So if you do have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to start there and then make our way back to the book of Exodus. But first, let us ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we stand on the shoulders of giants. We look at those saints who came before us men and women who have been used by you in extraordinary ways to bring about your purposes and plans for this world. As we wrap up this quick study of Moses this morning, I pray that eyes would be opened, ears would hear, and hearts would be pulled towards you. I ask that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our attention is going to be drawn to three incredible moments in the life of Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 through 29 says this, By faith he, that is Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So the three main events that we have from this passage is we have the death of the firstborn, we have the exodus itself, and the parting of the Red Sea. All three of these moments are familiar to just about everybody, whether you have grown up in church or not, because of movies like the DreamWorks picture, The Prince of Egypt. It is an amazing story, the story of Moses, and he was an amazing and faithful man of God. And we read here in verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11 that he was not afraid of the wrath of the king because he, through the eye of faith, could see the one who is invisible. It's interesting that the author of Hebrews uh, makes this particular point because when Moses stood before Pharaoh in defiance, he had, in a sense, seen a physical representation of God in the burning bush. He heard God speak through the flames. If you would now turn with me back to Exodus chapter 3. It's that great jumping back and forth that we have here. 
when we're dealing with the book of Hebrews chapter and chapter 11, but we have this in verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." So, Moses gets a number of different things from just this quick passage. The first, God was able to manipulate the natural way of things. In other words, he is the Lord over nature and he is the Lord over creation. When a bush is on fire, it burns up. But here, Moses is drawn to the bush because it is not consumed. Secondly, God is personal. He spoke and he called Moses by name. Third, he is held to the holiness of God. Don't come near, take your sandals off your feet, for where you stand is holy ground. Fourthly, he received the identity of God as the God of his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, one of the most fascinating things to me about the story of Moses is when he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter, The providence of God that worked in his life was such that he was able to be nursed by his own mother. And Pastor talked about this a couple weeks ago. And to a certain extent, he was raised by his own mother. Now, we don't exactly know how long Moses was with his mother. The Bible just says that when he grew older. This could have been the age of weaning or perhaps later. Some commentators even suggest into his early teen years. Um, that, that he, in this, in his growing up with his mother, his mother might have passed down the history of the Israelites, the history of his people. He would have learned about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also the God who they served. There's also the possibility that he knew of these characters because of his training and being brought up in Egypt. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that Moses learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So it is possible that he learned it there, but we don't know for sure. But there appears to be some sort of familiarity with these characters that have come before him and who their God was 
and who this God is who is speaking to him now. Fifthly, Moses recognized the holiness of God and covered his face. Pharaoh was, at this time, the most powerful man on earth. Egypt was the greatest world power for a very long time. The Pharaoh was believed to be the human representation or the human form of the sun god, Ra, Egypt's most powerful and esteemed god. Moses was raised around this man and eventually comes face to face with the true and living God and hides his face when he never hid his face around the incarnation of the false god, Ra. He sees that God cares for his people, sixthly. He has seen the affliction and heard their cries and has now come to deliver them out of slavery. And seventh, he is a God who goes before his people. He sends Moses to Pharaoh with the promise, I will be with you. The same God who used Moses for his purposes and called him by his name is the same God that we worship here today who has called each one of us to himself and has a plan for your life. This invisible God who has revealed himself in so many ways has now revealed revealed himself to us in his Son. We read in Colossians 1.15, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the God who became man, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that you and I deserve, and who rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This invisible God is also the God who made you and I in his own image, who by sanctification conforms you and I more into the image of Christ. This is not a blind faith that Moses showed. It is not a blind faith that you and I give This is a faith that has the backing of God's word. It shocks me how many Christians that I talk to today when asked, why do you believe the Bible or why do you believe the things that you believe, say something along the lines of, I just do, or just makes sense to me. And is that really all we have? Is that really all we have got to offer God and the world? Is that how we're a light to the world? Is that how we're a city on the hill? Is that how we view God? We believe just because. Imagine Moses for a moment going before Pharaoh after God has called him. And he goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, why? And Moses says, because. But what did Moses say? He said, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. And then the plagues come. But do we have a response like that? When we're confronted with the world, is all we have to offer God is, yeah, I I believe because, you know, my mom told me about it or my my parents raised me in, in such a way. Moses has an unapologetic faith, faith so different than what we hear today, especially in this month that we're in right now, the month of June. Very few Christians will stand on the word of God and say, Thus says the Lord, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Instead, it's, well, 
I may not agree with what this company or this, this group of people believes. But I want to make a big deal about it. God loves them too, and judge not lest I be judged, right? I'll just let God deal with that. But Moses understood that God was with him. Moses had a faith that God was going to come through with what he said he would do, and that was to deliver his people out of slavery and lead them out of Egypt to the land that God would show them. And plague after plague comes, and still Pharaoh's heart remains hard. Now we know that Moses, according to the book of Hebrews, did not fear Pharaoh because he had God on his side. However, that was not always the case. It was not always this way. Moses did indeed early on act on fear. We see Abraham in his story act on fear. He said, Sarah, say that you're my sister, lest Pharaoh kill me and take you for himself. Abraham feared the king of men. We see Isaac doing the same thing because he feared a king of men. But Moses, too, before his encounter with God, feared a king of men. He went out, saw the Egyptian mistreating one of the Israelites, and he looked one way and looked the other, and then struck the Egyptian. Later on, he goes and he sees the Israelites, two of them arguing or coming against each other, and he asks, why are you doing this? And they say, who made you the judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And it says that Moses was afraid uh, um, because he feared that this had gotten out to the rest of the people. And thus he fled to Midian, and it says that Pharaoh sought to kill him. And so, so Moses spent 40 years in fear. He spent 40 years in the wilderness of Midian, running from Pharaoh, running from um, his prior life. Now, as we established, Pharaoh was the most powerful man on earth. Pharaoh was viewed as a god. But no one would ever dare come against him. If anybody came against Pharaoh, he would act in his authority as the ruler, and he would strike them dead, or he would put them in prison. He would do whatever his heart desired. No one would come against him except the true and living God who fights for his people. Again, plague after plague comes. We have the water turning to blood. We have the death of the livestock. We have the frogs. We have the locusts. But then we have the final plague, the death of the firstborn. Hebrews 11.28 says this, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. We were talking about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We are talking about different apologetic methods and which ones work and which ones seem to fall flat. And one of the, one of the fastest growing and most popular apologetic methods nowadays is evidential apologetics, where if we just have enough archaeological evidence or ways to prove that the Bible is true, then we present that to the world, and the world will, will see that the Bible is true, and they'll think, wow, I should believe in this God. But the problem is, over and over in Scripture, we see God literally performing amazing signs and wonders and great works, and there is evidence presented to pagan nations and unbelievers and all that, and yet they still reject God. And it is no different today. We can show, we have 
countless archaeological evidence of the Bible. But unless we are brought from death to life, unless we live a life in faith of that the Bible is what it says it is, that God is who he says, it is, says he is, we will never ever truly believe. And the same was with Pharaoh. Even after witnessing the incredible power of God, Pharaoh does not heed the warning given to him by Moses of this last great sign, which is the death of the firstborn. The command is given on how to avoid such a horrible outcome. Slaughter a lamb and paint the doorposts of your house with its blood, and the angel of death will pass over that household. Simple instructions, but instructions that require faith. Now, how many parents who painted their doorpost that night, how many of them do you think slept really well that night? Those who didn't believe Moses, I'm sure, slept rather well. Their firstborn were going to be fine. They'd, there was no threat of something happening. They had nothing to worry about, only to wake up the next morning or in the middle of the night to find their firstborn son or firstborn daughter dead. And the Bible tells us that there was a great cry in Egypt. But those who acted on faith who believed God, who painted their doorposts, well, they had a different outcome. But I think about this, and I don't know if I would have been able to sleep that night. I would have been awake, holding my baby so close. But here's the thing. That's me. And we, we often meet people where we read the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sin. They take the apple, and we think, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, yeah, you would. The only reason you say you wouldn't have done that is because you know what happened. We're able to look at the Bible. We're able to look at the mistakes and the sins that other people say, and we can confidently say, well, we wouldn't have done that, but the truth is we probably would. So I probably would have been awake holding my babies. But here's the thing. While I'm sure there were those in Israel, or in the, among the Israelites who were like that, I'm actually more inclined to believe that those who painted their doorposts slept relatively well that night. Why? Because they had faith that God was not going to back down on his promise. They believed what Moses had said. They believed what God had said, that he will pass over those households. They were going to be fine. That is action based on faith. And notice what it says in the account in Hebrews chapter 11. The faith was not shown in believing that God was going to kill the firstborn. The faith was shown by the obedience of keeping the Passover and painting the doorposts with the blood. The passing over and the sparing of the firstborn were the result of the action of faith. And the question of faith for you and I this morning is, are we covered by the blood of the Lamb? This was a direct, this was one of those types and shadows that we hear about from the Old Testament, that the Lamb was slaughtered, the doorpost was covered so that salvation would have been brought to Israel. And we know that Christ, who is the true Passover Lamb, He is the true sacrificial Lamb, and His blood has covered us so that we also have salvation in His name. And do we believe in that promise this morning? And now we come to the climax of the story in the book of Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea. 
such an incredible moment. And let's turn again to Exodus chapter 14 this time. And I'm going to read this whole section here in a moment because I think it's, it's important. But we'll start with just verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent or be still in some translations. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites here. Fear not and stand firm. How often do we hear that in the Bible? Fear not. And see the salvation of the Lord, and the Lord will fight for you. This is to show that the act was all the Lord's. Stop everything you're doing. I, the Lord, will act by myself on your behalf. Just like our salvation here and now, the salvation of the Israelites at this moment was the sovereign act of God and Him alone. So now I want to read the rest, starting in verse 17 of chapter 14. It says this, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night with one, without one coming near to the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided." And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What is the ultimate goal in faith? And it's right in verse 17. The glory of God. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But the glorifying of God comes first. Was God going to deliver Israel? Yes, he was. 
Was he going to do it because he loved Israel? Yes, he did. But it was ultimately for his own glory. Then God caused a great wind to come and part the sea. God told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea to divide it, and that's exactly what happened. As we consider our own faith, it all comes down to one thing, the Word of God. That's really what it comes down to. Do we trust the Word of God? And some might say, well, people like Moses and Abraham and all these saints, well, God spoke to them. How could they not have faith? God directly spoke to them. He did signs and wonders. How could they not have faith in God? And I would say, well, sure, that's true. However, the opening lines of the book of Hebrews tells us that long ago in many times and in many ways that God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Church, God still speaks to us today through his word, by the testimony that has been given to us regarding Christ through the written and inspired scripture. God has spoken. The question is, do we believe what he has said? And then if we do, that belief, true faith, leads to action. If we say we believe what God says but continue to defy his commands by willful sin or calling good what God calls evil, then our faith is not genuine. True faith leads to action, and action with faith is trusting in what God has said. We all struggle in one way or another when it comes to our faith, whether it be something we read in Scripture that we may not fully understand, or maybe it's even something that we come across and we even disagree with it in Scripture, and we need to pray that God would change our hearts to align with His Word, or maybe something else. But we all have our own struggles. But even in our struggles, Even when things may not seem like they're going well, do we believe what God has said? Do we have faith in the promises that he has given? When we read in the Bible that we know God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, do we truly know that? When we read that he, that is God, who began a good work, and you will bring it to fulfillment on the day of Christ Jesus, do we believe that? Do we believe that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Over and over again in Scripture, we see the promises laid out for us. Over and over again, it is God calling us to respond in faith. We do not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future, and that is enough. There is a Hebrew song that is sung around Passover. It's called Dayenu, and that is translated to, it would have been enough. So essentially what they're saying is that, God, if you had just brought us out of Egypt and not brought us to a promised land, that would have been enough. Or, God, if you didn't send the manna, it would have been enough. Or, God, if our sandals just didn't wear out, it would have been enough. And it just kind of keeps going. But you didn't need to do all of these things, for it would have been enough, for we would have seen your great glory. And it goes on, and we know that whatever God chooses to do in a situation is truly enough. 
But God decides how he is to be glorified, and he is a good and loving and merciful God. And God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation in the land that he has promised. And so, of course, God brought the people back to the promised land. God fulfilled that promise to Abraham because he does not break his promises. He is a good God, and that is enough. In Romans 9, we see the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and it was for the purpose and glory of God. And we think of our own situations in the world right now of corrupt leaders and evil going on. And a lot of the times we can maybe feel very discouraged by what we see or what we read. But we know that God has a purpose and has orchestrated it all by his sovereign will. And he will work it out for his glory and for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. And we in faith must learn to be content in the situation, time, and season that we are in now. God is in complete and total control. And the blessing we need to recognize, we, like the Israelites, were in bondage. We were slaves to sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And God has brought us out of that slavery and brought us to freedom in Christ. And in a sense, we are still wandering in that wilderness, waiting to, for the greater promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no more sin, where, the, where there will be no more death, where we will dwell with Christ forever. And we, like all, receive these blessings by faith. Faith that God is who he says he is. And he will accomplish what he has promised that he has accomplished through Christ. We may not lead people in a great way like Moses did. We may not part the Red Sea in a symbolic sense. But God calls us to stand upon the foundation that is his word against the ways of corrupt and evil men of this generation, against the sinful ways that we are called by the world to participate in. By faith, stand on the promise of God today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this bird's eye view of such an incredible, incredible story of the faith of your servant Moses. Lord, I pray that you would equip us by your word, by the sanctification that you work in our lives that we would be able to stand on the word of God, stand on the promises that you have made to us and for us for our good, that we might come against these seemingly great men of the world without fear, that we would be able to stand before any who come opposed to you and say, thus says the Lord. Thank you that you have called us to yourself. Thank you for sending your son, Christ Jesus, to die for us, that we can live a full and meaningful, purposeful life in Christ as we look forward to that glorious and wonderful day where you call each one of us home. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.